back to Star Wars Escape Pod and uh, yet another episode in which we chat Star Wars for you at home. Maybe those uh, walks with a dog, maybe you're tuning in in your car. Uh, it's great to uh, be entertaining you this week and we have a very special guest joining us this week. Uh, his name's Jason and uh, we're going to be chatting to him about uh, incredible Star Wars models and uh, a variety of other miniature subjects. <laughs> uh, no pun intended. And uh, we have Bryce, of course, coming back as well. So, uh, join in the chat. Let's get into it. Another happy landing. Right, welcome back to the show, Bryce. Evening, gents. Evening, and uh, we have a very special guest joining us this week, um, which is Jason. Welcome, Jason. Hey, thank you for having me. Dude, yeah, it's welcome, man. So great to have you. I mean, uh, I know like people are busy in the world, and uh, thanks for just giving up some time to chat with us. I mean, uh, you know, it's great Not to have you. Yeah, yeah. Um, we're uh, we're hearing the Bad Batch theme song in the background right now. It's Force of Habit. Um, every <laughs> for the for a couple of weeks on end now, we've been we've been kind of reviewing Bad Batch almost like right off the get go. So I uh, just hit that button and uh, but yeah, uh, you know anyone tuning in, uh, you know you'll, you'll hear a little bit about Bad Batch later on. And uh, but uh, first, you know let's uh, let's chat to Jason. I mean, uh, those of you who might be uh, may recognizing Jason's name, you could have seen him on on the Star Wars show uh, a while back for. Uh, his creation of the Starlight Beacon, and um, yeah, I mean, like Jason, do you want do you, like uh, first off, like I mean, um, how did you uh, how did you get into Star Wars, and like you know, like what made uh, made made a fan out of you that you kind of maybe head down this career path or something like that? Maybe you can explain like yeah. what you do, like just you know, Mike is yours. <laughs> just feel free to just kind of go for it. Sure, sure. Um, well, a little bit about me. Uh, I, you know, born in 1973, so I was four when Star Wars came out. My parents went and saw it. I have no memory of that. But I did go see it in the re-release in 78 at uh, Shout Out to the Circle Theater in Annapolis, Maryland. Um, nice. And I, I vaguely remember seeing b bits of it. I think I thought the Stormtroopers might be robots, but I was just <laughs> enthralled. And my mother... Uh, as was law at the time, took me directly to the toy store afterwards, and I got a couple action figures. And and uh, I guess I think if I am remembering correctly, uh, I was. She said you can have four figures and the land speeder, like, and uh, <laughs> it's sort of a a weird like foreshadowing of things to come. I was like, well, then I need. Luke and Obi-Wan and the droids, because that's who goes in the land speeder. Like, already 
like <laughs> I'm rigid with the accuracy, which is kind of depressing. But you know, this is like I'm not getting Vader. He didn't. He wasn't on Tatooine. You know, and anyway, <laughs> um, and just you know, you you're a kid in the '70s, and it's just this communal thing, and it's incredible, and it grew. And I loved, I think anyone that was a creative wanted to make Star Wars when they grew up. Uh, I had the art of books and I had the Joe Johnson sketchbooks and I had the making ofs and I saw the making ofs that were broadcast on television. And I wanted to work for ILM. I like wanted to blow up TIE fighters when I grew up. But I lived on the East Coast and was about 15 to 20 years too young. Uh, so that just didn't happen. Um and yeah, I guess at like the age of 18, I could have just up and moved to California and done and tried to do it. But I mean, like, I, you know, that's people have done that. I did not. Uh, so I, I just assumed. And then again, uh, and to backtrack a little bit, uh, you know, you become like a middle schooler into high school and that stuff sort of falls away. Star Wars was dormant for all of my high school uh, oh, actually, until like maybe the last year, I think it was a senior when the Timothy Zahn books came out and I was like, mm. oh, hey, old friend. And and like we all like the, the nerds in my school. Uh, and this was back when nerd nerdery was like a liability. So, yeah. you know, we were like, you tried to hide it, but you couldn't. You know, Put, putting so, a like, different dust jacket over the Zahn books, you know, <laughs> wearing my my jacket to school yeah. with the Nostromo patch on the side kind of gave me away. You know, they're like, nerd. And I'm like, ah, yep. <laughs> but, uh, uh, you know, like it just, it, it felt exciting again. And, and I want, and I had built models as a kid. Um, my grandfather, my one grandfather was into trains, like model trains, not quite like Beetlejuice, but in the attic, there was a train layout. Uh, it wasn't as movie picturesque, but it was pretty darn cool. And then uh, the other grandfather built airplane and car models. So it was in my DNA, I think. And they, I got model kits as a kid for gifts, you know, like that's sort of a creative kind of present, I guess. And uh, we built as a family, I think I say this in our Star Wars stories, but we built the Millennium Falcon as a, as a family. And that certainly imprinted on me. But again, that all went by the wayside when I'm like, I think, I, you know, like want to learn how to play guitar and see what girls are all about and, you know, like be in a band, do fine art. And I have a fine art background, which serves me very well now. So that was all luck and happenstance, I guess. But uh, sometime in the mid nineties, early mid nineties, after I'd moved out, I had my first apartment and I started building models again. And it just coincided with, I think the Ertl MPC, whatever re-releases of some star Wars kits. So I built like the slave one and a couple X wings and it was just really fun. And uh, then this little thing called the internet happened. And I remember starting to piece together that people were comparing notes and solving like recipes, if you will, like with props and with miniatures and stuff. And I'm like, oh man, I could build a lightsaber. And like, they know what they're made of. Like you were on like the alt mm -hmm. message, group, the primitive RPF and then the early RPF. Uh, and then it, uh, from the RPF, I made friends with people and ended up like professionally um my first job i guess would be for master replicas back in 2003 i want to say um and i just was a what, what would you call it like a con consultant uh, or contractor um like i was not a salaried employee but you know i got a check every two weeks and and they owned me on my off hours yeah. which is fine um but i ended up 
doing paint masters for them, which is, uh, you know, you get you get a like the Adat was the first miniature oh, wow. uh, replica. Yeah, and they send you two from the factory, and you paint them both up exactly the same, and one goes back to China for referencing, and the other one like gets paraded around Toy Fair and stuff. So uh, this is for master replicas. I, yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. uh, and then they they started flying me out to the ranch, and I would go into the archives and like measure stuff and take Holy reference smart. photos. Oh man! Yeah. Put Boba Fett's helmet on when no one was looking. You know the things you do <laughs> when you're there for the first and tenth time or whatever. It was a very heady, like three to five year period. It was very exciting. Um, actually, no, Palisades Toys was my very first. That was in two thousand one or two. They had the license for like Buffy the Vampire Slayer and the Muppets and stuff, and I was oh, making yeah. little like. Way replicas and prop replicas for that. And then, but the first Star Wars was, was MR. Um, and I, I thought I peaked, you know, I was like, I made, I helped make licensed replicas. Like my dream has come true yeah. and then it kept going. Uh, and then, yeah, eventually I made the Starlight Beacon for Lucasfilm, which was bonkers. Yeah, that is um, and weirdly, weirdly really easy compared to like trying to replicate an X-Wing. I have now fallen into this weird niche where I am trying to preserve the original dimensions of what they built in like 1975 and 1976 only because I sometimes slash often get access to little bits and pieces that the original ILMers kept, Mm. um, you know, like keepsakes or going to sell this one day, whatever, um, you know, found this in the closet. They're, they're all, you know, at the, at the age where they're like, I guess I should clean out the storage space and see what I, you know, like squirreled away 20, 30, 40 years ago. So things pop up and they know what I'm working on and they'll be like, Hey, do you, would this help? And I'm like, ah, you know, that kind of stuff. So it's, it's insanely privileged bananas like situation, but they know that it's like, you know, and I'm I'm one of like a group of like eight or ten guys that have all banded together privately, fiercely, to like do do the Lord's work. You know, like we have yeah. to we have to preserve the X wing because uh, the models are literally just falling apart, and like let's do this because we can, and it's very gratifying. Yeah. So wow, yeah, I understand yeah. that. It's almost like you're doing the job of an archaeologist in some way. Yeah, you have God, this like really rush. old, you know. Like the holy it's grail still- and you're just trying to keep it because in a thousand years you want someone to look at the holy grail and be like yeah this is what it looked like yeah yeah yeah, yeah. you don't want it to and change like, it's so funny because you know talking to them like it's so different from what they did because they're like hey man i just grabbed these parts because i knew they look good like yeah. it wasn't quite that cavalier but what we do <laughs> they they think is bonkers like they they like it they're like that's you know mad respect kind of thing but at the same time they're like wow we did not care <laughs> like the way you guys do if a part it's fell scary. off yeah. you glued something else on and i'm like oh yeah i know you use this and they were like okay whatever yeah because like, we've researched that. <laughs> i guess like uh, back um, then though like from the first star wars movie like they weren't fans of star wars you know like it's it's kind of weird no, to think I about mean, but like, i guess it was like just their like- job right yeah, they liked it, but they were doing a job. And the yeah. job was build this thing this size because this is how far the Dykstra Flex has to travel on the, the track. So it has to be X big or whatever mm-hmm. to stand up to scrutiny or whatever. And uh, it just 
it has to last until the shot's done or until yeah. the, the show's done. You yeah. know, like they, there was no consideration <laughs> for longevity or coming up really close with a magnifying glass and a little duster and, you know, tut, tut, tut about things. Like it was, yeah. you know, we're, time is money, fellas, you know, that kind of thing. I've so. heard some crazy yeah. stories about the, the Death Star model. Like how it was mm-hmm. it the Death Star model that ended up in like a trash bin or something and someone dug it out and yeah well yeah the Death Star was part of a batch of stuff that was in a storage unit and when either when Lucas moved north to Moran or you know within a year or two after that uh, this they stopped payment on the storage facility. And the stuff got, you know, liquidated, like Storage Wars style, I guess. Right. And some college guys ended up with it or something. It, it ended up not getting trashed. Like, it, some people thought it had been thrown in the dumpster. It, it was stored. Uh, they didn't trash it. Okay. But it, it got released into Gen Pop. Right. <laughs> and it, it worked its way to, I think, a country store. And was being used as, yeah, like a festive trash can. I think it was even <laughs> outside. Uh, yeah. It was missing the dish. So I guess that was the hole for the trash. I'm not entirely sure. But I think Gus Lopez was the one who was found it and rescued it. Unless it was, it might, I might be misremembering the college, the three college guys. They might have found it and bought it and then bought, and then Gus bought it from them. I'm not, I can't remember. The, the garbage can remember. aspect sounds familiar. I think, I think you're on the right track. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I don't think that's apocryphal. I think it actually legitimately was a trash can. <laughs> that's for that's a so crazy, time. right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, like, it's just a giant plexi dome. I mean, like, hey, it's got a function, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> well, the, these days, I mean, like, the thing is with, like, models, because, like, I guess in film, it's, it's just cinema in general, like, models is such more of, like, a rare uh, a rare art to have on, on a film. And, you know, yeah. the, these days, so many more models are just being done digitally. And, and you know, yeah. those are files. So, like, they just get archived. And, you know, those files just kind of sit in the archives forever on, like, tape somewhere, whatever, once, once the show's over. But, you know, and it's like if we can, you know, if we want to bring it back later, it's like, all right, you know, go and grab that tape, then I'll, you know, convert it back to digital, you'll got the file again. But, you know, actual models, like <laughs> something happens to that and you don't, don't have the original anymore. So, yeah. yeah, it's pretty nuts. Star Wars is such a coveted thing now that these models that they built to last, you know, a week are, are you know, just like, well, if they're still around, that's just gold, right? Yeah, yeah I think it's... Go ahead. It, it's like a testament to their their skill and craft that the stuff is still kicking, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. I was wondering if you've um, noticed like kind of an, an increase in interest in, you know, in, in traditionally made models and stuff. I, I feel like we kind of went through a, a, a bit of a time where everything was 3D and then practical effects started to make a comeback. Yeah, I mean, I think so. I think everybody wants that to be the case. I don't know. Um, Me personally, CGI bums me out the way it's usually utilized because... (laughs) Okay, so the best way I can explain it is... I think I was in, like, high school or college, and I was watching my brother play Sonic the Hedgehog, and I literally could not understand what I was seeing on the screen because everything was so frantic and fast. And I knew it was a side-scroller, but I was just like, what the hell am I looking at? You know, like, ugh. Because I was used to, I don't know. Like, I don't play video games either, so, like, it was, I was used to, like, uh, shoot, what's it? Pitfall. 
you know, the little guy swinging on a vine, like real simple. Um, (laughs) And uh, like the Transformer movies, like I went and saw the first one and somebody asked what I thought. And I was like, I just feel like somebody took a bag of multicolored pieces of broken glass and shook it in front of the camera lens for two hours. Like, I didn't know what I was looking at. It was like Alien versus Predator, everything's so, like, it's all the fights happen at night so they can hide the bad CG. Yeah. And it's like all like super close quarters and quick cuts. And I'm like, it's nonsense. Like, they're not making movies for my aesthetic anymore. Right, <laughs> like, right. I am, I'm a dinosaur, I'm done. Um, and miniatures, I think, forced. Well, I think miniatures forced you to actually storyboard something and compose a shot and compose a frame. And therefore, I think that like psychologically, the people that were skilled at doing that knew what they were talking about visually and that people who don't can kind of get a little further in the industry when you can totally change everything after the fact, like Mm -hmm. nothing's locked down. So I think everything gets really muddy. Like, I, uh, the last superhero movie I saw was the Captain America one, like the first one. Like, I, I never read comic books. I feel like a weird pariah sometimes when people are like, oh, did you watch the new whatever? Somebody was trying to force me to watch WandaVision, and I was like, look, I would need to watch like 80 hours of content to even understand <laughs> what the hell they're talking about. I'm not committing, dude. Like, yeah. I have no interest. That's and, totally fair. Like, yeah. I watched that Superman movie where he fought the guy from Boardwalk Empire, whatever, like who played Zod. <laughs> um, and I turned it off like 10 minutes into the, like 30 minutes before it ended. Cause I'm like, all, it's just, I don't know. It's guys destroying entire cities and killing tens of thousands of people every time. And like, ugh, like I know he's going to win. Like who gives a shit? Sorry. Um, so like, I'm just like, I would love for models to bring it back around uh, to make a comeback only if it causes people to like pause and think about how they're going to compose a shot. Right. Like that would be great. Like the, I, the movie Moon, I don't know if you've seen Moon, but uh, it's gorgeous and it's miniature work. Um, but I think if models are cheaper, they'll use models because that's really what it's about. Like, yeah, it's because always about the money. None of the creatives have any say. It's all the business people making the movies. You know, like the creatives work under them. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So it's like it's sad, but uh, it's it's so true. As, you know, like as far as like the the like the the prequels and stuff. It's it's like if you look at a movie these days, Whatever. it's basically like the 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 producers running the show and not the director anymore. Because it's got to work into the big franchise. It's got to, like, be part of this larger story, right? Whereas, like, you know, back at Star Wars, you know, he's, like, the first six. Like, that was just George. You know, he hired a producer. The producer does their job and starts making things run smoothly. Whereas now it's, like, you know, Marvel's run by Kevin Feige. He's a producer. He's not a director. And yet, you know, he hires the directors. And, you know, he basically tells them kind of, like, the the goal of what this movie's going to be about or whatever. Uh, but I don't know. It's just definitely, it's kind of weird how it's like flipped. Right. Um, yeah. Well, yeah. I think the first star Wars, uh, was a a total fluke in its popularity. I think George Lucas, uh, is like an incredible, like documentary, like filmmaker. And he shot it like that because that was the, the visual language and what he'd like to do. Uh, but like from all accounts, like, a lot of the editing saved the, the, the structure of the film. And visually, I think he <laughs> lucked out 
because they had like no money. Um, so like, it's kind of like the stories about aliens with James Cameron. Like if you take that camera and turn it like just slightly to the left or the right, there's no set. Like everything you see on that screen was like you, like they had money to only do that, which is really incredible. And I think that like that, those constraints sometimes like force you to be a little more ingenious and that sometimes can translate into what we then decide later is brilliance. Right. Um, Absolutely. It's like, it, and I'll take it. That's fine. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When you when you add those constraints, it like forces people to kind of funnel their energy into the things that are important. Yeah, be and creative. They don't get, yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. They don't get bogged down in like all the different kind of possibilities. Like I've done like I kind of I hit this wall when I write for even like uh, planning. Like, if you give people like too many options, it's it's not going to you know translate well into you instead if you kind of give someone you know a couple different options really focus yeah like if if i go to the store and i see there's a i don't know if you guys have it in canada but there's a brand of mayonnaise called dukes uh and it's it's got that twang i think is their their uh tagline it's it's got a little higher vinegar content in it it's a southern mayonnaise but they all but they have been like pumping out like habanero pepper dukes and like (laughs) Uh, tomato and bacon and I was a sucker and bought a couple of them and they're fine but like now there's like eight on the shelf and I shut down emotionally I'm like I can't I'm just gonna buy the regular like dude like stop like there's no way I can go through all of this in my lifetime before it expires (laughs) like (laughs) if I want to add cucumber and dill I'm just gonna add some cucumber and some fresh dill to my mayo like (laughs) everybody knock it off (laughs) like Jesus But, but but that's me. Like, I, I think I'm getting curmudgeonly yeah. with, with that kind of stuff. But, like, I get it. I, I totally get the human ability to shut down when faced with too many yeah. <laughs> options. Like, ah. Yeah. The, um, oh, my God. To, to, get, to get back to, like, the models and, and like, the right, just yeah. that versus the CG, I just want to take a step back just to because there was something I wanted to say about that, which is um, the detail, like, the level of, like, handcrafted detail on a model that like say that you would make um yeah holds up so much longer right because you know we're looking at these old movies in like 4k now and they've you know clearly been like you know uprezzed and everything like that but it's 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 crazy because like you can see details that you almost couldn't on those old um uh, I don't know, oh, yeah. like, tube tellies and, you know, it's just like the, yeah, the CTR yeah, machines. Yeah. I mean, like, I was so happy watching, like, movies on a TV that was like that, but just as big as possible and weighs, like, 200 yeah. pounds. Yeah. But, uh, but you know, when as soon as, like, flat screens became a thing and then, you know, now the HD version comes out, the remastered, and then now we have, like, the 4K release, which is insane. Ooh. You can just flip it on Disney Plus on a digital and, like, you can see every single, like, little pore on someone's face and like yeah. you know things like makeup and like actual models and stuff they just hold up so well and you know yeah. when that when that those cg kind of elements especially back in the day with the prequels which were really groundbreaking for their time and pushed the industry forward but realistically like they weren't necessarily made to be to hold up because that was the cap like that that was the absolute yeah. limit as to what they yeah. could do whereas a model it's like you know, the more detail you physically put on that thing, the better it's just going to hold up for as for eternity, right? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. I, 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 if you ever 
chat with Richard Edlund, ask him about Battlestar Galactica's theatrical release. <laughs> uh, he was just like, you know, we shot that thing, uh, and they they did a lot of the, the that like Battlestar TV movie, which turned into like the first couple episodes of the show or whatever. Um, they did that uh, right after Star Wars, before Empire. Um, Little trivia uh, note: They were operating under the name MCA Fifty Seven, not uh, ILM, for that project. But um, they uh, they shot it all for television, like which back then was what six forty by four eighty or something horrific. Yeah. Like I, he was like really despondent that they were going to project it on a movie screen because he's like, we didn't, <laughs> we didn't compose for that. Oh my yeah. god, what oh, are you doing no. to me? Uh, and then another quick anecdote, last year at uh, this model convention, Wonderfest, I was talking to a fella who turns out to be one of the makeup guys for Saturday Night Live. Uh, and uh, I thought it was interesting that they're assigned a cast member. So, like, he gets, you know, like Mikey Day, for example, like, that's his guy for the season or whatever. So everybody's got their own their own makeup guy. And, of course, like, I'm not asking any of the normal questions. I never tend to do that, like, weirdly. You know, like, I was like, oh, I love SNL. And I started asking about the process. And they, like, ask an artist about, like, their process, and they perk up, and you get good info. And he went off on, like, the challenges of HD, because he's like, you want to try to hide a wig line in 30 seconds at a commercial break, knowing everyone's going to see it? He's like, nightmare! <laughs> and he'd been there for, like, 30 years, so he's... He's seen the transition. He's just like, I guess eventually they're just going to beam these people into homes. And then like, well, then what am I going to do? <laughs> He's like, Hell. like, he was like, it's so challenging with the resolution. So, yeah, I can see how yeah. like, yeah. yeah, like now 8K TVs are becoming a thing. It's like, when does it end? <laughs> well, I'm so grateful that I'm probably too old now to like visually appreciate super high def or super yeah. high res audio because my ears are shot and my eyes are going, you know, because I'm old. So I'm like, ah, this, you know, I, I think I've got 4K. I don't even know if my TV's 4K, to be honest. Um, would it but, make a uh, difference yeah. like this? <laughs> no, I don't think it would. I'm like, ah, it's fine. <laughs> Um, you know, like when I watch Star Wars, I watch it maybe once or twice a year and it's my Plex file. That's like, I don't know. It's some, like, I don't watch the digital versions. I watch the, the original, yeah. you know, because I'm a big nerd, I'm a big ILM like fan. So I'm like, I want to see all the, the mat lines and I want to see the, I want to see the, the, the nitty gritty, what I saw as a kid, you know, that kind of thing. Right. Which we all do, but I guess that's never happening again. So we get what we get. Something that Josh was talking about with the uh, kind of piqued my interest, where I, I it was really fun to watch um, when something gets blown up. I was watching it back, and the first time you see, you know, that um, the first shot of like the ATSDs in the back, and they're and they're cool. you know they're the old McCory the the ones that are used in um, Return of the Jedi. It's like yeah. that kind of stuff is really cool because you see that for one shot, and it's mm. and and like I just. You know, remember like pausing that and like going over all the detail just on that one like little shot as it walked by. Yeah, so yeah. the the Empire Chicken Walker. Um, yeah. I've got a couple quick anecdotes about that thing. That's my favorite one. Um, I love it. I love that. The Jedi one is fine. Um, my friend Bill made that one, uh, so I, I you know like I I can't disparage anything about it. But the Empire one is sexy to me. It's got like the yeah. longer legs. And it's mysterious and it's weird and it doesn't, the model's been trashed so you can't like 
reference photos are very lean on the ground. So yeah, it's really hard that's, to find. that's what I was going to ask about too, because you also have the this like uh, the Return of the Jedi fleet ship as well, and I'm like, oh how how hard is it to like find some like stuff that's just used when one or two shots in the background? Like, how do yeah. you go about finding schematics and designs and and, well, and, and bits for that? Well, okay, so I'll I'll answer both the the ATST. Um, knew Joe Johnson had built it as just a static model on a lark, like just for fun. And it was sitting on the table. I'm guessing this was like 78 early, like, or maybe, yeah, it must've been 78. Um, and George Lucas walked by and pointed at it and was like, I like that. Let's use that. And he was <laughs> like, crap. And so they, he, they had to break it apart and reconstruct it on an armature that Tom Cinnamon made. Uh, and I've talked to Tom about like the armature and he's like, eh, it was kind of hard to work. Like I, I didn't engineer it the way it needed to be. And Phil hated animating it because the parts would pop off, uh, which another quick anecdote. When Bill made the Jedi one, Phil said, make everything one piece and then it bolts on. So like those two leg sections are like assemblies that literally like screw into the the the, the aluminum and the Empire one. I mean, today, it's mostly just the armature. All the plastic has long ago just sort of fallen off <laughs> over the years. Um, and it was going to have a bigger presence in the movie. Uh, there is a storyboard, I think. Um, I think Dennis Muren was animating it, maybe, or maybe Phil was animating it and Dennis was working the camera. I don't know. But it was supposed to sort of walk and then track a snowspeeder with its head and shoot it. Uh, and the, the, the shot was ruined because I think the camera was bumped and they just scrapped it. So like the, those kinds of little anecdotes that you hear over the years from those guys or in print or whatever, just fuels that like stick and fire and fleet ships are totally the same. Like all those fleet ships and empire, like you see that in the movie and you're like, what are they? I have to know I'll die, you know, and, and they show up in Jedi and they're different. Uh, and the ones in Empire, it turns out a lot of them were li little, like, one-inch photographs that they cut out and put on a piece of glass. <laughs> so good luck, kids, <laughs> trying to figure that out. Um, and, like, I think part probably some of them were just thrown away. Um, there's, like, maybe six or seven in the archives. They look awful, just awful up close, because they were never meant to be seen. Some Most of them are monochromatic, just bombed gray, uh, and they're kit-bashed and... Like the last time I was there, I think was like February 2019. I was looking at them and Lauren Peterson was there. Uh, and he just like looks over and he's just like, yeah, yeah, those. And he's just like, I don't get it. I'm like, because we don't know what they are. And he was just like, whatever, who cares? Like, you know, look at this. This is cooler, which he has a point. But, you know, when you've been obsessing over this stuff for your entire life, <laughs> it's like, oh, a new ship. Out, out yeah. of my favorite movie, I don't care how ugly it is. I must know. Yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> Fleet ships have a soft spot in my heart, um, and they, clearly they do with all the other guys building models because they, they, you know, like it's. I feel like I feel like uh, so we call them the shorthand for these things are studio scale, and all that means is trying to build a model exactly like the original one for the studio or for the shot. Uh, so the scale is malleable. You're just trying to replicate 
what they did using the parts they did and the size they did. Um, and it gets real competitive and I've noticed, uh, and secretive, uh, and I've noticed there's like a lot of new blood, which is great. Uh, and kind of like bizarre because it's like the stuff we've been doing, like we're all jaded, like my friends and I, because we've yeah. been doing this for so long. And you see the new guy come and he's like, I'm going to make probe droid pods. And we're like, okay, like, oh my God, another one of those. But it's uh, like, that's the entry to the, you know, like that's the one you cut your teeth on. That's your first car. You know, like that's the, that's an, a pretty friendly, easy build and very satisfying. So like, can't get super excited when I see them again and again and again, but I can totally appreciate because I remember when a couple of guys figured out what all the parts were. And that was cool because the probe droid pods were a mystery for up until I'd say mid 2000s, maybe 2011. Uh, Yeah, because like nobody cared. Like anybody who had ever gone into the archives to take pictures of them, sometimes people will take pictures surreptitiously. And this was back when like everybody had an iPhone four or three and there was like no good low light camera. (laughs) So like you'd get these pictures from them, you know, like they would smuggle them out. Like I could get fired if uh, you post this online and I'm looking at it. I'm like, I can't tell what's going on. It's like (laughs) super low res and it's like, it's all muddy. But uh, eventually pictures like, bubbled to the surface and we were like oh it's that and then i talking to pat mcclung years later he worked on empire and he's just like ha, i built those dumb things in like a day he's like, <laughs> I was like really he's like that was late in production he's like that's not like five tanks that were slapped together to make like a thing the pod it's just like you're building why why are you building that and i'm like because no one did no one the knows ca- what the like. casualness of of like of it is 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 astounding. Oh yeah, you know that you, I that love you it. Get because like, I love you it. Just have like a room full of super motivated and talented people, and they're just hanging out like building whatever, like the ATS, the water. Yeah, example, right. He's just doing that kind of like not expecting it to get grabbed. Like it's yeah, never it's, in a million years. Yeah, it's a miracle that this movie, you know, ended up being made with any sort of like. Like, like things could have just not looked correct. Like, like now you have art directors and like three people under them to make sure you're like on style and, and everyone, you know, you, there's so many layers to the models and no one's, you're not just making anything. Like if you're, yeah, everything's just so planned. So, well, so and like, I can't remember if it was Andor or Obi-Wan, um, but the probe droid pod got some love recently in one of the shows. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, it was an Obi-Wan, yeah, I think. It, yeah. Yeah, it showed like the the pod being launched or, or like processed inside and then shot out. I was yeah. like, that literally, I think, is only because of like the guys in our scene pushing that stuff to the forefront. Like, yeah. I don't think that whoever worked on that show, like, it's very like it's a tight knit community. We all kind of know each other. I know people that work on the show. They know who I am. You know, like we're all very friendly. Um, and I'm sure somebody was like, we could show the pod. We know what it looks like now. <laughs> you know, I was like, yeah, sure. You know, like, I would not be surprised because when I saw it, I was just like, so excited. And then I just started chuckling. My wife finds it endless amusing. She's like, oh, that's that little dumb thing you made. I'm like, right, look. I think I had to rewind it and look at it again. You know, I was like, oh, they got it right. Look at that. So what, yeah, what is it that draws you to, like, the machines of, um, of like, sci-fi? Because... Like, I, I know, just, I know, I know you, I really love your um, Blade Runner blimp as well. Like, yeah, and, yeah that, and all that, that kind of stuff is such a cool aesthetic, but where does that like, yeah. 
Or, yeah. Um, it's funny. I'm building a couple Skyhopper models right now, and they're very clean. Um, and it's just like it. It's so challenging for me. Like I've always said that the guys that build car models are like I. I admire them so much because they like have these perfect flawless finishes, and they like you know buff their paint to look like it looks like a car mm-hmm. you know like oh my god it's gorgeous and then i am building this x-wing and i'm like oh, yeah, it's all dented and dirty and it's got scoring on it you know it's yeah. like yeah. i i find immense pleasure in building something that yeah. looks like it's functional and also really not taken care of <laughs> like <laughs> that lines up weathering. perfectly with star wars though right right yeah. yeah i think i think it's a i think it's an excellent fit for what i like to do yeah like the um model show that i go to wonderfest uh is coming up in june and we're doing the 40th anniversary of return of the jedi celebration and charlie bailey and lauren peterson and bill george will be there and and it'll be a rip-roaring time but we're like we're setting up a little display of stuff and everybody's like wanting to make a jedi themed model and so i decided i'm gonna make a bomar monk mostly because i have I have an STL 3D file of my actual brain from an MRI scan that I had done oh, in a previous job. Yeah, they, the guy was <laughs> one of the scientists. Uh, we have an MRI downstairs. My old job. There was an MRI downstairs. The guy came up and he's like, you're the 3D guy. And I was like, I am. He goes, could you print a human brain if I gave you an STL? And I was like, yeah, it's watertight. And he's like, it's watertight, which just means you can print it. Yeah. And... Uh, I was like, yeah, where'd you get it? And he goes, oh, it's my brain. Like, we're testing. Like, I figured out how to make them watertight. And I was like, go on. And so he told me, you know, what he was doing. And I was like, that's cool. And he's like, what, you know, does it cost anything? I was like, no. But I can print it in clear resin at my house and not charge you anything if you can get my brain scanned. (laughs) And he smiled. And he's just like, okay, well, maybe the machine needs to be calibrated soon. And I was like, all right, we have an accord. So he sent me the file, and I printed it at home on my dime, and he was over the moon. And then I get this call, like, a week or two later, and he's just like, what are you doing at 11 a.m.? And I was like, going to lunch. And he's just like, don't. And I was like, okay. And he goes, we have to calibrate the MRI. Do you know anybody? And I was like, whoop, 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 whoop. You know, they ran downstairs. They stuck me in the machine. And a couple of days later, I had my brain file. And I was like, hooray! And he was just like, he's like, look, you have very squiggly things. It's very nice. You're probably smart. And I'm like, oh, thank you. Complimented. <laughs> showed my mother that it wasn't just an empty void, uh, you know, like kind of thing. But literally, the only reason I'm making a Bomar Monk is because A, it's Jedi, and B, my brain will be in there. That is and super cool. It's a nice touch. Um, yeah, yeah. And... Uh, and I love the 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 one that um, my friends made for uh, at Tippet Studio made for the the Book of Boba Fett. I think that's a cool riff on it. Mine's yeah. very similar, uh, a little different, only because like I just want to have fun with it. Um, and it's obnoxiously large. I'm making it too big. I'm such an idiot. Uh, like I always like how big can I make the body and have it fit on the print bed? I use a Form Three Plus, like a Form Labs printer. And so it's not huge, but big enough that, like, I can be dangerous if I'm not careful. So, like, this thing's going to be, like, I don't know, quarter scale, maybe. I haven't quite figured it out, but it's too big. I'm too far along to, like, scrap it and start over. (laughs) Is there there 
Are there any rules with your partner on uh, size limits for your models around the house? No, no, no. My 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 wife uh, thinks it's fun. Um, That's awesome. And 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 none of, nothing sticks around too long either. Um, so she knows that like you know even the big stuff kind of goes away. Um, I have and everything's mostly sitting in the the back TV room. I do have the Ralph Macquarie concept probe droid in the dining room only because it looks really good against this like butternut squash colored wall that we have. <laughs> so I was like, yeah, I have that. I have the uh, painting. I have the, I have a print. Yeah. yeah, I know. Yeah. Yeah. And I made that thing um, like too big accidentally. Also, I really need to like sit there and think about it next time I start a project. Cause you get about halfway done with the prints and you've spent like 300 bucks on material and you're like, well, no going back now, you know, like twice right. as big as I probably should have made this stupid thing. Um, <laughs> but I painted that thing in like a copper color just cause I thought the painting has a lot of brown hues and it would be neat. And, uh, and it was, so <laughs> that's yeah. kind of fun. Uh, uh, you mentioned yeah. uh, the, pr the 3d printing aspect, uh, because that kind of, yeah. kind of flows in with a question from a friend of ours, Phil, he, he really wanted me to ask you this, which is, uh, what is your favorite stomping ground for finding pieces that you can integrate into your models? And 3D printing has really changed the game in the sense that you can just kind of like whip up a model and print it out yourself in whatever shape and style you kind of want, right? So like, yeah. is yeah. there a lot of going out, digging in, you know, recycling centers and like whatever, just try and find things still? Or is it if you need something, are you kind of at the point where you just just printed it yourself? I, everything I build is almost always like a replica of something. And if it's not like the Starlight Beacon, I'm going to go to that same pool generally of model kits or the same spirit of just because the design language is so well established and I'm very comfortable, you know, working with that. Mm. So like, I'm going to grab a bunch of one seven hundred scale, like Tamiya ship models, because I know those little parts you're going to see them and, and subconsciously be like, yeah, that looks familiar. That, that, that sells it. Um, and uh, the rest of it is like styrene plating and uh, like a laser cut acrylic uh, for like armatures or metal. If it needs to be, you know, stronger um, the 3d printing for me. <laughs> so my hands are really bad. I got the genetic and, and I guess lifestyle lottery of, hands turn into crap like over the past like six seven years uh, i've had five hand surgeries in fact one of them i'm going to the ortho tomorrow morning to figure out why it hurts still oh, man. <laughs> but um yeah yeah i've used them up like short story uh my hands are all messed up uh nerve damage and just like tendonitis and trigger finger and trigger thumb and purple tunnel you name it it sucks and like i can't sand for more than an hour anymore but like I think I did this to myself sanding for eight hours a day for 15 years, you know, like, duh, right. like the human body should not have done what you did. So like, <laughs> oh, you idiot. So I got really scared in like 2017 and was like, I got to learn a 3d because I might not be able to physically make models anymore. Like this was really creepy, scary. And luckily what happened was I learned it. I'm still, I still feel like I'm learning it. People are like, you're really good. And I'm like, I'm not, man. Like, I'm all right. Like, I get by. I feel like a pretender with a lot of this stuff. Mm. But uh, it's now this incredible tool that lets me do a lot of, like, under painting, for lack of a better word, stuff. 
that I can then build off of. So like, I don't have a lathe, I don't have a mill, but I can 3D print like a pie shape and put it together. And now I've got a saucer and now I can slap a bunch of stuff on it. And I had, don't have to like, you still have to do some sanding, but I have a really nice, stupid, expensive printer. It's like buying an Apple and or buying a Mac and not like a HP, you know, like I'm overpaying for my resin, but I never get a bad print. Right. So like, there's a lot of guys that are like, why don't you use the Chinese one? And I'm like, cause I need to make this thing work and not fiddle around with like, yeah. you know, settings. Yeah. Like, I'm just going to spend the four grand and buy that printer and, like, you know, be done. No, I totally and get it. Yeah. Again, like, because I can sell something, like, that first printer that I bought, the first thing I made with it sold and paid for the printer. So, like, within six months, I was, you know, like, net zero or whatever. So, yeah. like, all right, we're good. Yeah. Well, uh, and it's but, worth like, it. Yeah. Ironically, it's made me faster <laughs> because now I've got this little robot buddy doing stuff day and night. You know, and I, uh, and I, like, I did the thing that a lot of people do where you go online and you find a print, you, you're like, oh, I don't have to, like, build it now. If it's free, it's crap. Like, in my experience, like, I don't, I don't buy prints online. I don't use free prints. I design everything myself, except, like, organic stuff. I have a couple really talented 3D guys that, that do like faces and stuff. So I pay them to like do like pilot heads or, you know, like that kind of stuff. And I, I feel like I'm supporting my fellow artists. And now I've got, you know, like an incredible looking, you know, red leader stick in my X-Wing. Like, this is great. Yeah. He even figured out, he even uh, picked up on it. And I, I didn't even do this. I noticed this. The helmet's a little crooked in the film. So the helmet's crooked on the guy's head. And I'm like, ah, like chef's kiss. That's amazing. Like, holy crap. Red 10's like that too. Red 10's, I think, even more crooked. Um, oh, wow. But he just, did, he just did a Porkins for me. And I'm like, oh, that was more expensive because we had to do the whole body. I was like, cool. Um, and I had, uh, I commissioned Lauren's head and Bill's head. And I made little X-Wing guys for them uh, just for fun. Um, this was back when I did have the nine to five and I could throw money at goofy stuff. That's kind of probably done now, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but for, I was just like, we, um, and, uh, yeah, it's really, really weird because sky's the limit, right? Yeah, I yeah. mean, you can make it, if you can draw it, you can make it yeah, do you think like crazy. Like as a kid, do you ever think it would become something like this and you're, oh. No, even as an you'd adult, be, like you'd be working with a with a robot helper, and you're <laughs> right. No, it's, it's terrifying. Yeah. And I'm really glad. I'm like I'm glad the internet didn't exist when I was a teenager. That there's no mm -hmm. record of me in adolescence that way. Like that seems awful. Um, and I'm really glad that I'll probably be dead before AI takes over. But I don't know. AI has been doing some weird stuff the last couple of weeks, apparently. <laughs> so. It tried to get some guy to cheat on his wife, and it also, like, something threatened violence or something. So I'm like, oh, man, it's already starting? Like, this is way faster than I thought. Oh, my gosh. So, like, I, I'm hopefully in a sweet spot in my I'm lifespan. Sure Whoop, sorry. My hand hit my Apple Watch. Um, More robots. Yeah, I heard you. Yeah, <laughs> speaking of, you. holy crap. Um, so hopefully we're in a sweet spot, like, biologically, where we'll be dead before, like, things get really creepy. But uh, it's already, like, science fiction through and through to me that you can do this in your home. Yeah. Like, what? 
Yeah, I was. I, I'm making an ion cannon. It's a slow burn because a friend is helping me with all the fancy electronic, like the the, the mechanicals. Right. I, I, pa- I did a pattern of the ion cannon because I had good reference and I went and visited it personally, which was nice. Yeah. Um, that one's dr- difficult because it's covered in like a weird, like the paint has reacted and desiccated over the years with um with this stuff they put on it. And it's like made everything look fuzzy, so you can't see the kit parts, which it just keeps it mysterious and drives me crazy. But um, I was out in the Bay Area and had coffee with Ease, and he's the guy, doesn't work for ILM anymore, but he's the guy that built the Ion Cannon. He machined Barrel, like, which is like a two-part thing. He, he machined it out of acrylic. So I meet him, very nice that he met me. He never, he didn't know who I was, but, you know, via a couple of the other guys are like, yeah, he's cool. Like, neutral location. We met at a coffee house, <laughs> public, you know. Um, my ether-soaked rag, you know, I had to keep it in my pocket. Um, but uh, he, uh, I showed him, the, we were talking about stuff, and he's, you know, graciously answering a couple dumb questions, and I showed him the part, you know, because I'm like, I, you know, I'm a fan of the craft, and I, I made this. And, uh, you know, you probably recognize it. He's like, oh, wow, yeah, I machined that out of acrylic. And he's just like, how did you make that? Uh, and I said, oh, I 3D printed it. And he's just like, wow, that's great. What, you know, like, where'd you go? And I was like, I did it in my basement. And he stopped. <laughs> he's like, wait, what? And I told him, I was like, yeah, it's a Form 2. At the time, it was a Form 2 printer. And he's like, explain this to me. Because he's a 3D <laughs> design like professor now. And yeah. he didn't know that the technology with SLA resin printing had gotten that far that fast. And he was just like, are you kidding? When, when like, was no. this? Like t- early 2019. Like it had oh, been wow. around, but it yeah. wasn't like the FDM stuff. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. And, and the form printers are nice. So basically what I was showing him only three or four years ago, you would probably have to have spent 40 grand for a Stratasys like object or something. Yeah. Uh, Stratus, I think. I don't know. Um, but like the, 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 the entry fee like had dropped finally. Um, which was great because I don't, the, the printers that use the, the spools, like or to I look at them as hand killers cause you have to do so much sanding. I'm like, Ugh. yeah, you know, like now I, I have one myself. That. It's it's, uh, it's yeah. 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 <laughs> it's, it's for most people. I feel like it's a novelty. Like it's like you buy it, you print like nine or 10 Grogu's like dressed like the Necronomic, you know, dressed like uh Freddy Krueger or what, you know, there's like these, these guys like, like just obsessively print these things. And I'm like, that's, that's your hobby. Yeah, like, yeah. You're, you, like that. And that's fine. Like I need to like make pools that I then can use to build off of. Yeah. And that most of the time, like won't work for me. It does sometimes. Um, but I'm just so locked in now with the resin one that I yeah. I can't go back. Well, and if, if I mean if you're if you're relying on on you know the smoothness of the object, you know, and and you know, like you said, your hands are totally shot. There's no way you know sanding sanding yeah. PLA sucks. Like <laughs> it's there's yeah. no well, fun PLA is plant based, and no one can tell you how long it's going to last. Like it's it's a general concern sometimes. Like a friend of mine printed some stuff using the resin printer, uh, but he used this Chinese resin, and he said a year later it was crumbling to dust. And he's like, do you worry? And I said, well, you know, that was 20 bucks a liter, and my resin's 150 so I'd like to think that that buys me a little more time. Mm-hmm. And I had talked to the guys at Form Labs, and they're like, we think if you use the resin correctly, which you're doing, and you seal it for more UV exposure, which you're doing because you're painting the entire thing, 
uh, we're thinking 30 to 40 years. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I'll be dead. That's fine. <laughs> I don't need it to last 100 years. I just need it to last until everyone dies. Yeah. Like, like, I mean, you know. As long as I don't like, see my babies crumble. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, like, and if, well, I mean, if somebody, like, buys something from you, you don't want to be like, ha sucker, it's going yeah. to detonate in two years. Yeah, yeah. But things that I printed three or four years ago are still going strong and no one's complained. Nothing's drooped. Nothing's cracked, so it's a relief. But I also engineer them, like, thinking I don't want any load-bearing resin. <laughs> yeah. So. I, I got to ask, because, uh, you know, the, this uh, this High Republic Starlight Beacon model that you've done is, is you know, it's like, I mean, to, to a lot of Star Wars fans, that's kind of like the staple thing that they know you for. So, um, like, how did you get that gig i mean i assume maybe like the master replica kind of led into it but like how did you get that gig and then like what was it like to work with you know maybe story group or you know maybe uh, <gasps> some of the some of the concept designers behind starlight beacon like doug chang i don't know if he was involved but yeah just maybe, now, like... so so yeah on february 29th 2020 like literally two weeks before everyone went home for two years um <laughs> the our Star Wars stories crew sended upon us and it was 10 people in my home for eight hours to get six minutes of usable footage. <laughs> now, um, I mean, it was, but like, I, I know that it just takes a while. Um, but the really cool people, um, you know, Jordan is fantastic. He's, he was the host. Um, there were a couple producers, the Star Wars.com editor, uh, a couple of people from story group. Um, and you know, everybody's friendly and we all kind of know the same people, you know, like I'm like, Ah, uh, do you remember Chris from licensing? He was my MR contact. It's like, oh yeah, he's moved to international now. I'm like, ah, good for him. He's still there. You know, like that kind of crap. Yeah. Um, and uh, it just was a positive, fun experience. You know, and Jordan's like, everybody loved your episode. It's really great. Everybody loves models. And I'm like, models are sexy. I mean, like, yeah. You know, everybody, everybody loves a model kit. Um, it was really funny. Like when I was being vetted, they were like, do you sell garage kits? And I was like, no. I explain it as, I mean, I sell things, I don't want to lie, but like, imagine you're an artist and you make one-offs and sometimes your one-offs are just like the other one-off, but you make them one at a time and somebody comes by and they want to buy it and you're like, cool. I don't have ads in Starlog magazine. <laughs> I don't have a cart on my website. And they're like, cool, we're cool with that. We just don't want you making kits and, you know, garage stuff. And I'm like, that's fair. And I thought that was very generous of... Disney, Lucasfilm, whatever, to take that stance with fans. But they understand that, mm -hmm. like, you know, fans are the lifeblood of the thing or whatever. So yeah. I think that's very nice of them. Um, yeah, so, like, that show happens, and then, like, we all go into lockdown, and wow. And then a year later, uh, I get contacted by the Star Wars.com people, and they're like, you're part of the family. Um we're doing this initiative and want to know if you want to make a unique model for it. And I was like, please and thank you. Um, yeah. And uh, I will say it didn't pay very well, but they know that you aren't going to say no. So, you know, <laughs> right. whatever. Like, they were, the one guy was very, very like, he was like, thank you for doing this. I know you could probably make way more money building something for a doctor. And I was like, yeah, but uh, you're fulfilling the, you know, bucket list dream that I never thought would happen. So it's fine. You know, like I fantasized about 
getting a drawing or two from Ralph McQuarrie or Joe Johnson come across my desk and like, all right, kids, show me what you got. You know, that kind of thing. Um, And because we were in lockdown, it was all Zoom based. So I might as well have been out in California for it, which was kind of great. Nobody was going into an office. It was all kind of equal footing. Um, But yeah, so like I got three pieces of art. Uh, They were just layered Photoshop files. They were paintings of the Starlight Beacon you probably have seen like in, you know, like books or whatever. Um, And it was the, you know, the the little Zoom heads. It was Pablo uh, Higaldo, Hidalgo. Yeah. Um, He was my, he and Phil were my main contacts. Uh, And there were, you know, a couple people from the website, a couple people from the story group, a couple people from guess licensing or whatever I, you know it's just a whole bunch of people uh and we met more often in the beginning and you know like i had questions and you know they had questions for me like how are you going to do this how you know i was like how big does this need to be what do you need it to do and they're basically like we wanted you know this tall and it's it's set dressing for the set but we want it really nice and i of course i'm like i'm gonna build this as nice as i can with the time i have thinking this is, you know, a model that gets snuck into the Presidio under cover of darkness that I made, you know, like, yeah. I'm not, I'm not saying that John Favreau is going to walk by and go like, Hey, that looks cool. Put that in Mando. But you know, like it, if it lights up, maybe I got a better chance, you know, like that right. kind of thing. Yeah, totally. <laughs> and then they, then they blow it up like at the end of the first wave or whatever. I was like, Damn it. <laughs> this guy. like the yeah. guy, I, I, as a quick aside, the guy contacted me. He's like, we're blowing it up. I'm so sorry. And I'm like, eh, they blew up the Death Star. It's fine. You know, like whatever. You're yeah, like, that's good why things. I got into this, to get TIE Fighters blown up. Yeah, good things get blown up all the time. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> it's very cool. You, there's even, um, there's even, you even have some ships in the hangar base. Too. Yeah. That's, yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah, so, so, like, we were talking about things, and I'm like, all right, these little weird ovoid pods on the bottom, what are those? And you could see, some of the stuff was made up, I think, on the spot. Pablo was like, ah, uh, fuel pod. <laughs> I'm like, okay. <laughs> You know, like, like there was a lot of like back and forth where I'm like, can I put lights here? Sure. Why not? You know, what is it? I don't know. And I'm like, okay, this is a cooling fin. Okay. You know, it was a lot of that, which is great. Cause that's how it, you know, like that's how it happens, honestly. Yeah. Um, and, and like, I love, I, I think I've also said this a bunch of times before, like I've got these like little anecdotes that are like barfed again and again. But as a kid, there was a little Christmas ornament that had a little hole in the side. You look in and there was like a little rabbit eating a carrot or something. And I was so fascinated with it, like Fabergé egg. Uh, so I always loved to, if, if there's a hole in a model I make, you're rewarded for looking in. Yeah. Like, oh, there's so got to be something in there. And they were like, there's a hangar bay in the in the midsection in the equator. And I was like, ha, 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 yay, what are we putting in there? And they're like, we don't know. And I was like, excellent. And I was like, okay, what's the aesthetic of this hangar bay? Because it's a billion years before whatever. Uh, and they were like, yeah, make it look kind of like this episode of this show from the... Th- I can't even remember what they said. But I was like, okay, it's kind of browns and golds. Okay, great. And then I said, okay, there's the ship that, like, the little... Jedi younglings make lightsabers on. I forget what the ship's called, but like it's cool. It's got like looks kind of Carillion, uh, and it fits your timeline. Can I put that in there to give you the sense of scale? They were like, "Yeah, okay." So I contacted the guy that made it for the show, and I was like, "Hey, I'm working legit. 
and I need to have any reference. And he sent me the file. And I was like, well, that was easy. And so I just slid <laughs> it down really far and printed it. And it was like, you know, printed it like, you know, yeah. two inches or whatever. But then there's a back hanger bay. And I said, space considerations, I'm going to force perspective this thing. I'm going to really truncate it. But when you look in, it's going to look like it extends further. They're like, great, whatever. I said, I'm going to put a ship back there. They're like, what ship? And I said, okay. John Barry, I think it was John Barry. Uh, drew the ship that they call the Dowager Queen, and it's what crashed on Tatooine. Right. It's been retconned into something else for the uh, special edition, but initially it's that saucer shape with the thing. And it was just put up to hide, I think, TV antennas or something, or trees on <laughs> like on the set. Like, it's, hi- it's hiding real-life stuff. Right. Uh, which is the only reason it exists. But I, I said, apparently it crashed on Tatooine a long time ago when it was a colony ship. So maybe it had hung out there or a ship like it. And they were like, great, put it in. So I, a friend of mine had done like a fun little, pretty pretty decent, but still simple because the shapes are simple, uh, model. And he generously, graciously loaned that file to me. And I skewed it to the same perspective. So if you look at the, the print, it's really weird looking. But if you look at it head on in the little hangar bay, which is the only way you can look in, uh, it works. Mm-hmm. So those those Easter eggs were super fun and cool. Um, and I have to say that, like, maybe a third of the way into the whole process, they were like, eh, we don't have to meet with you as much as we have been. You clearly have the design language going. We'll just touch base and make sure you're not going crazy off script. And I was like, that's like the greatest compliment, man. Yeah. Like, yeah. You know, like, that's so cool. Um and yeah, it was just it was it ha- it went so fast because there was nothing to reference, and I'm like putting parts down and I get in a zone. I kind of liken it to automatic writing almost, where you're like working and you just start laying stuff down and you've just you're comfortable with aesthetic, and you just start like building off of stuff. And uh, and they liked what I did, so yeah. but like. I've, I've said I was talking to, to Bill George about it one time and I was like, it was really easy. Like I thought it would be harder than making a replica something, but like you just make the thing and then you're done. He's like, yeah. Yeah. He's like he's, he's like, if you, if you know what you're doing. Yeah. He's like, yeah, you. Say, yeah. It would probably give you an idea of what it'd be like to work. It was such a, yeah. uh, it was such like a little kid, winning the lottery kind of thing feeling yeah, for it was sure. really cool. Yeah. Cause you really got to recreate that experience too, of like, you know, someone on star Wars that would have had like a, con- a concept. Art to like, do, right? Yeah. I feel like as close as I'm ever going to get. And I'm like, I don't know if I'll ever do anything like that again for them. Like the doors open, of course, but I'm like, thank you for throwing me that bone. <laughs> like, yeah. holy cow. Um, I printed a couple Christmas ornaments for them in December um or november i think actually um and they were over the moon about that i'm like yeah man Uh, these little starlight beacons yeah um i I saw them in the background of of the star wars show at one point i was like i wonder (laughs) yeah yeah. i I whipped up a bunch of those like uh what was that right before a surgery i think it was right before a hand surgery yeah 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 because i'm like yeah i can get them done but i need to fast track this because i'm gonna be out of commission for a month (laughs) so they were well, like, well, I mean, like, I really hope that this model that you make, because it looks amazing. Like, I, I hope it ends up like what you say, you know, someone walks by and they, yeah, let's just 
throw it in a show or something like that. You know, it's yeah, like assu- no. assuming that it can fit within the timeline of when this show takes place or whatever. Um, yeah. But I mean, like, somebody there's still a lot of lot of potential there, right? Yeah. Somebody said there's some show called Acolyte that it might fit in, like, time-wise. Yeah. But uh, I don't know. I mean, if nothing ever happens with it, that I'm also, I'm fine. Yeah. It was, it was awesome to do. Um, as long as someone doesn't turn into some sort of garbage can in a hundred years. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, they paid me and it got shipped out so they can do what they want. With they want. Yeah. <laughs> I, would, I would hope not, but you know, <laughs> yeah. Um, to get no, it's to... a beautiful model. It's absolutely beautiful. Yeah. It, oh, it, no, it really is. Yeah. I love the lights on the inside too. That's such a nice touch. Like, yeah, yeah. I, mean, I went, I went crazy with the like my favorite part about it. It's like getting to look at the underside of it and getting to see these like almost like four worm-like engines that are very um, Macquarie-esque and very yeah, um, very yeah. like yeah, dune like, kind of. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, they were like the top has to be white for the light side of the force, and the bottom has to be dark for the dark oh. side. Of the force. Oh, I'm like they well, they said that or yeah, yeah. Wow. I said, well, I can't go white because it'll look like a toy, so it'll be white-ish, and I'm going to break it up with panel, like, like you know, panels and stuff just so the light catches something. Yeah. Uh, and the bottom, I'll go dark gray, but if you go black, you're not going to see anything. And they were like, oh, yeah, okay. So that it all worked. I mean, it's, it, I think it reads fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. But, uh, I was terrified that they were going to be like, no, stark white and stark black. And I'll be like, it's going to look like a... that's no that's great i mean like that's contributing to to like lore at that point right because like not only you're making like an actual like detailed model of which like they could even reference later if they have to make a cg version of it or something they're probably going to take super high resolution photographs of what they got that you made and you know go off of that or something right that's cool yeah yeah uh, yeah um yeah, it was it was pretty nuts. Yeah, like uh, and at one point they uh, they called and were like, "How big is it?" I was like, "Oh, you, you wanted it X amount," and they were like, "No, no, no!" Like in real life, I was like, "What?" They're like, "We're trying to figure out its scale. Like, how big is it in meters tall? Like, what scale is it?" And I was like, "Huh, okay." So I looked at the the ships that were in the docking bay as a reference and calculated the scale and said, "Okay, I think it's this." I, I think I even did like a Star Destroyer next to it, you know, like it's this big. And they were like, "Okay, cool, that's canon. Congratulations!" And I was like, "Wait, what?" I was like, wow. "Cool, that's awesome, so cool." That, yeah. so you know, because I laughed and I was like, "You guys don't ever care about scale. Like, people are still fighting about how big the Adats are." Yeah, people are still like, no. trying to figure out how big the Tie Fighters are. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah. Right? Yeah. When yeah. you ask me what scale that is, I'm like, I don't, I don't care. Like, I'm sorry. <laughs> like, it's that's a uh yeah, that is a taste great less filling or kind of like argument that's never gonna get solved <laughs> oh man um well we, i mean it's been just over an hour now i don't want to take up your whole evening it's been super awesome to chat with you jason um oh, what are I feel some... like i've said nothing i'm so sorry <laughs> yeah maybe before you go like like what are what are the things that you're kind of uh looking forward to now like yeah. what are the projects that you're kind of excited to get into or something you maybe have on the go. Yeah. Um, right now I'm finishing up some skyhoppers. Uh, I'm working on a couple of Death Star turrets. Again, it's this weird thing where like there were four Death Star turrets made. There was one made for a new hope and then three in three different sizes made for Jedi. And I had 
restored and a new hope one. And when they send something to me to fix up, I'm like, you're cool if I reference the hell out of this and like repattern it. They're like, yeah, go nuts. So I did that and made like a little like casting set, you know, for buddies of the new hope tower. And then the smallest death star tower, uh, a screen use one was sent to me, uh, not to oh, also to restore. And that one was broken enough that uh, we just cast it because he wanted copies to give to friends. Uh, and so I kept a couple. So I've got a, like the smallest one. But I knew there were two more, like a medium and a large. Uh, and I was just offhand talking about them. And he's like, oh, I think I think my buddy has those still. And they show up in the mail and uh, I just get to borrow them so I can repattern them. So I did, uh, you know, and like when you have something sitting in front of you, it's a lot easier than photographs, let me tell you. Um, so I made those repattern those uh, and I'm making a we, we molded and cast them and everybody going to Wonderfest, you know, can get a copy of one or the other or both. And we're going to line them all up on a table and have like this big group display of turrets, you know, Death Star Towers. Oh, that's cool. Um, as a fun thing. Um, so working on those, I got to weather them. They're almost done. Um, and then I'm working on uh, yet another X-Wing. Like the, a little more data has come to light. And I can make it just that much better. Um, so I'm like, yeah, you know what? I'm going to make, I'm going to make another X-Wing. And then lo- short slash long-term repattern of the TIE fighter from parts from the studio mold that were pulled for posterity aren't really suitable for building, but you know, I had them really nicely high res 3d scanned by a local company. So those get done. And then I restored what turned out to be most of half of the original wooden Y wing pattern, uh, from late 75, early 76. So while that was in my possession, we of course, measured all that so i can nail the y-wing now i'm pretty sure <laughs> like and and by me i mean all of my friends who have id'd all the kit parts and you know the little takes a village kind of thing so those are yeah. going to be fun i, yeah, I those are gonna be very fun. just out of curiosity have you played the the x-wing miniatures game like the um the, the no. ffg one you, you you know which uh which one i'm talking about yeah, yeah, I do. I do. My so, friend my friend tries to rope me into playing stuff. I, I also don't really play tabletop games. I played something called Gaslands one time. The friend was like a Mad Max turn-based game. Okay. Uh, that's only because I wanted to make a Mad Max car. Like, so, it was kind of fun just to do. But the X-Wing game sounds neat. Yeah, like the the, the models, um, like, I think I've, I've purchased one or two myself just purely for yeah, the model. Yeah, I got like, a couple. They're, they're, yeah, okay, so you do have some, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've, got the, I've got the Rebel Transport and the Blockade Runner. Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. They're, they're wicked, right? They're, like the, they're a nice size. Yeah, for game pieces, yeah. like they're incredibly they're detailed. Nice. Yeah. yeah. They're super yeah. nice. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. you know, anyone, who, anyone who wants to get their hands on like miniaturized Star Wars ships, you know, maybe, maybe looking at X Wing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, I, every time I would go into a Barnes and Noble on the end cap, I would like, you know, sort of paw through them all like, oh. And they were doing like lots of like weird stuff, like the Moldy Crow or like, yeah. you know, yeah. yeah, like they were, they were sort of going into the niches, which I, you know, I, like the fleet ships. I'm like, man, I live for mm-hmm. that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Well, then, um, oh, yeah. Go for it. Yeah. 
Oh yeah, yeah, and then ultimately, once we we're my wife and I are wanting to move to Maine as soon as we find a suitable house, um, I have most of what I need to build a five foot Falcon, which is decades of accruing parts and whatever. Um, but if I built it in my house, it would be like building a boat in the basement. Yeah, like there, yeah. there would be no get out. So it's always been, you know, like when I one day have a shop that doesn't require something coming out of a 28 inch door from 1925. <laughs> that would Literally. be pretty sweet. That would be an awesome thing to have. Like, have you seen that table yeah. that you can buy from, uh, I forget the company name, but, uh, they, I think it's like they make, they make those little, um, those little Mandalorian like skull crests and uh, they did a few. Oh other yeah. Uh, Regal robot. Regal. Yeah. That's what it is. Yeah. Regal yeah. robot. Yeah. They have right. this insane oh, desk yeah. with the millennium Falcon kind of built into yeah. this desk. And like, I don't know. Yeah. Would you do something like that? Like make a Falcon and put it in a coffee table or something? <laughs> no. I, yeah. So like a five foot Falcon is such a space commitment. I think I have a couple friends that have built them. Um, Lee in Florida has his, vertical against the wall which i think is probably the most reasonable thing for most people if they're going to build something that big yeah. uh but my friend sean out in colorado like has it on full display like just dominating a corner of the room um <laughs> oh, again my house was built in 25 so it, like i can't get a bed bigger than a queen size into any of the rooms so i like, i don't right. know like it would not work in this space but yeah i mean i don't know what i would do um, I would probably want to make the Death Star hangar with the little gantry above it. Yeah. Uh, either from A New Hope. If I was to make an environment for it, I would probably make that. Like it's coming in or, or leaving. Probably coming in. Oh, man. But, uh, yeah, I <laughs> Just have renovate a, a whole pattern. room for the whole diorama. Uh, <laughs> I, it spirals real quick in your head out of control. You have to be very careful because then you're like, I'm doing it. And it's like, oh, God. Um, yeah, I have. I, I made a a uh, studio scale land speeder, which is one fifth scale. And that's huge. It's like, you know, f two, three feet long. Um, and I built one for someone and it's great. And I have like a set of parts to make for myself. And I just never did because where am I going to stick it? And then I thought oh, I could hang it on the wall. Yeah, like, that would kind of look cool. I was going to say, I'm so, like, yeah, depending on uh, how big your new shop is, you can start spending some of this stuff from the, <laughs> from the yeah, having it yeah. fly around. Yeah. 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 So, uh, yeah, I'll do that one day. I think. Yeah. Yes. Oh man. <laughs> <laughs> well, Jason, you're uh, you're always welcome back on the podcast. I mean, we've had uh, we've had uh, oh, it's such a pleasure. Yeah, we've had we've had so many fun people over the last couple of years, and you know, doing Star Wars like this is a complete hobby for us to do, and like if anything, it's just kind of enabled us to uh, just get out there and chat with other Star Wars fans and and just talk about yeah. you know common interests and stuff like that and. You know, we love yeah. models and, and, you know, you're just, yeah, I mean, like, we're just really fortunate to have you on to, to chat about the profession. Yeah, yeah, it's an absolute pleasure. Yeah. yeah. And if you like models and Star Wars or Star Trek uh, also, um, or anything else, honestly, um, mm -hmm. Wonderfest in Louisville, Kentucky is an incredible convention for that stuff. Wonderful. It's really low key. If you like barbecue, <laughs> like you're in heaven. If you like bourbon and barbecue. There's no finer place than Louisville, Kentucky. But um, it's, this, this is a banner year. Yeah, this is a banner year for it because of the ILMers coming. So uh, not not the I, I, I'm not affiliated with the show. I help out like with the display stuff. I wrangle all the Star Wars stuff. Yeah. Uh, for for the for the fan display or whatever. But it's it's just. 
that's that's where I go to connect with everybody, and it's just such a cool scene. Yeah. Oh, oh man. No, I'm, I'm sorry. Really I'm well. Do they host it every year? Yeah. They they host it every year. Every year. Yeah. Every year. Wow. Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry, I can't make it. It sounds sounds like a blast. Yeah. 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 Try try to come one year. It's it's pretty cool. Yeah. No kidding. Yeah. Um, if, I don't know if they'll do for eighty four. <laughs> <laughs> if uh, if our if our audience if listeners want to check out your uh, your work and and just kind of see what you're up to, is there like any any social uh, handles or or you know URLs that they can go to to see uh, photos or anything like that? Yeah, uh, the f- easiest one is go to jasonetonstudio.com. That's where all all of my not all of my but a lot of my stuff. Uh, I have an Instagram, and I can't even remember what my handle is. Uh, it might be linked on my I'll, webpage. Uh, I'll try and find it, and I'll link it all down in the description uh, of this episode. <laughs> I'll, I'll send you a link. It <laughs> might be Roboterconf. Like, I, I came up with a, a German couple of words for an email, and I'm now I'm locked into it. And I wish I had just made like, <laughs> Committed. <laughs> uh, I wish it had just been, like, poopatp.com or something really easy <laughs> to remember. Yeah. I have... I have Jason at jasoneaton.com, but it just redirects, you know, I'm locked into the Apple sphere. So, Ugh. right. Right. <laughs> That's fair. It yeah. happens. All right. Yeah. yeah. Well, um, awesome. Yeah. I'll link, I'll link those down below and, uh, you have my email. I mean, we got you in the discord now. So, uh, you know, seriously, like welcome back anytime. I mean, you know, maybe we can get you on again in the future just to chat about something else, you know, something random, maybe, uh, it could be a, you know, a Soka episode review or something like that. Just, uh, yeah, uh, yeah we'll, 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 we'll keep in touch and uh, yeah, feel cool. free to come on any, anytime. So awesome. Right. Thank you for having me. <laughs> awesome. Thanks, Jason. Hey. We'll, uh, we'll right. catch See you in you. another one. <laughs> See you, buddy. Okay. Uh. All right, Bryce. And um, that is, uh, that is uh, the show that we got for this week. I think what we're going to do is uh, save Bad Batch. Uh, we're going to push it to next week instead so that we, we do a double special <laughs> with episode eight and nine, uh, nine and ten, I guess it is. Um, but uh, that was super, super fun chatting to Jason about that. Yeah, that was lovely. Yeah, in fact, like what a what a what a treat to get to just like I don't know talk to someone so no so I just, just like um, enveloped in that world of miniatures and you know just like the trade and uh, yeah, so so like in love with their craft. Right? Yes, like, yes, exactly. It's, it's like a real pleasure to get to so passionate. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely, yeah. Yeah, I'm looking forward to having him back on if uh, if, he, if he's got the time, uh, and um, and and you yourself too. I guess uh, we'll catch you in another episode. Sounds good. <laughs> All right, buddy. All right, thank you so much to our audience uh, for tuning in at home, and a massive thank you to our co-host this week, Bryce, and our very special guest, Jason Eaton. So uh, make sure you check out those links down in the description of this podcast episode. And uh, take a look at his site. You know, to check out all the all the non-Star Wars stuff and all the Star Wars stuff he's got going on over there. And uh, you know, I'm sure we'll have uh, more great pictures of of, uh, of his art in in the coming coming months. Uh, hoping to see those skyhoppers. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, stay with us on the show. We got uh, we got more Bad Batch episodes like you just heard coming in the in the next few weeks, leading right up to the Mandalorian season three. Which is going to be great. We'll get uh, we'll get Kirk back on for that. Hopefully, if he's got the time and uh, snipped, make sure you uh, find us on snip snip platforms. Uh, we have um, 
little bunch of shorts that we post on the Discord, Twitter, Instagram. You can find us at those with the handle at Podcast. The snipped uh, little previews give, it, give you an idea as to what the episode's about. Shoot us an email, Podcast at gmail.com, and we'll catch you in the next episode of Star Wars Escape Pod. May the Force be with you.